and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the cheerfully young, seasonably hip, and festively lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. This is Ashley McKinless, and you might notice that Zach and Olga are not here. Um, it's uh, the Advent season. We are busy decorating trees and getting presents and praying. <laughs> so this week, we are slowing things down a bit and just offering you a really great interview, uh, but no signs of the times or consolations and desolations this week. But don't worry, we will be back in the new year with all that good stuff. In the meantime, if you are still looking for a Christmas gift, we are giving away another book from Jim Martin, Father James Martin. Uh, Last week, we gave away his uh, newest book, Building a Bridge. And this week, we're giving away his book, Between Heaven and Mirth, which is a book about how he finds joy and humor um, in the spiritual life. Um, And this is actually the first book by Father Martin I read when I got my first interview to work for America Media. I was like, I should probably have read one of his books. And this is probably not the most practical option. I should have read The Jesuit Guide to Almost Anything, but I found it at the public library and I was like, hmm, I'll read this. And it's great. So leave us an iTunes review and then email us at jesuitical at americamedia.org with your iTunes account name in the subject line so we can find you and put you in the raffle. Um, But next, we're going to have our interview with Kirsten Powers. Uh, She is a super interesting political analyst. She started as an appointee in the Bill Clinton administration um, and then ended up as a one of those talking heads you see on Fox News. Uh, So she was kind of the token liberal there. And then now she's a columnist for USA Today and an analyst for CNN. Um, And she has some really interesting things to say about this moment that we're in right now where we're having this uh reckoning uh over sexual harassment and sexual assault um you know having worked in politics and the media she has some um really really interesting things to say about that um i should say we recorded this a couple weeks ago so that was before senator al franken resigned and the day that matt lauer was fired from nbc um and unfortunately the this is still a very relevant topic. So um, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Today we're talking to Kirsten Powers, who is an author, columnist, and political analyst. For years she worked at Fox News and appeared on shows like The Kelly File and The O'Reilly Factor. Currently she's a columnist at USA Today and an on-air political analyst for CNN. Welcome to Jesuitical, Kirsten. It's great to be here. Thanks for having and me. And I should mention that I think you're our first guest with more Twitter followers than Jim Martin. <laughs> yes. Oh, how many does he have? He's, he's got a lot. How could I possibly have more than him? I don't he, think that's right. I think he's only in like, I mean, not only, but like <laughs> he, he's 30K? Only, no, no, no. No. He, no, it's jumped up. It's like Has 130K it? oh, okay. now. Oh, wow. Okay. I would have yeah. thought he'd be in the millions. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So I'm sure he'd ref, uh, appreciate the Kirsten Powers bump if you retweet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him. I retweet him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you get started in journalism? Oh, so very indirectly. It um, Well, so it, what's interesting is that I, I went to University of Maryland and I majored in journalism and I wanted to be a journalist. And then by the time I graduated, I decided I didn't want to be a journalist and that I wanted to work more behind the scenes. I wanted to sort of see how things actually worked. And so um, I ended up... Uh, 
volunteering on Bill Clinton's campaign in 1992. And the um, if you've ever watched The War Room, uh, which is a movie about the Clinton campaign, which if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, you can see how improbable it was. Actually, every day was just sort of a disaster with Bill Clinton, right? And so nobody really thought he was going to be the nominee. So I was volunteering for him. Um, and because I started so early when nobody supported him, fast forward, he wins. Um, I end up getting a political appointment in the Clinton administration. And so I worked there for five years in an office in the White House called the Trade Representative's Office. So I did that. And I really was fine doing that. And I didn't think I was going to work in journalism and kind of kept doing that. And then I left there um, in 1998, actually the week the Monica Lewinsky news broke and uh, just happenstance. You left that week. Yeah, I had already <laughs> I had already accepted a job. And so I was actually just, you know, the news broke and I was out the next week. Um, and I accepted a job at America Online, which at the time was the biggest internet company, you know, in the world. And, um, and I went to work for them running their international communications. So as you can see, I'm still not working in journalism. I'm but still getting just, closer. Yeah. And so I'm, uh, so I do that for many years, three or four years. Um, I realized like, mm, this isn't really wanna, what I want to do. So I quit there after four years. I'm now living in New York City. And so I start volunteering on Andrew Cuomo's campaign. Um, and then the day that I go in to start, they said, oh, we actually just fired the uh, press secretary. We need you to like be the press secretary. So it was just sort of, and I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do that. You know, I just was going to volunteer a couple times a week. And next thing I know, I'm on the campaign full time. And at some point in there, a friend of mine says, I think you should be on TV. Um, you know, we have all these like young Republican women, I think you should be on TV. And that's a whole other long story. But ultimately, she prevails. I go on TV. And it just kind of takes off. Like I just immediately start getting calls from everybody. And then that kind of led to Fox offering me the position. Um, and I took the job there. So it's a very kind of strange yeah. story. What, you know, it's it not like, like being I, a Bill Clinton <laughs> appointee at Fox. Um, well, you know, when I started at Fox, it was a very different environment. So this was 2000. Five. And so it wasn't quite as, um, you know, Fox was definitely, as, you know, the conservative place where conservatives were, but it wasn't quite the environment that we see now where it is so just divided. Do you know what I mean? Where you really can't have conversations with people. And so in the early days, it was fine. I mean, it really was like, you know, they were very respectful to me. They treated me well. I, you know, it was, it, I, it definitely expanded my worldview because I was now being in contact with all these people who were saying things I'd never heard before um, and having to debate them. Um, and then over time, I think it just became more difficult, you know, as I think all of the media places have become so sort of cleansed of any kind of alternative point of view. Um, and so then it's and then in the Trump era, it just got worse. Trump was running when I left. And it was mm. very clear the writing was on the wall, you know, what was happening that if you were not a Trump supporter, it was gonna be very difficult for you. Yeah. Wow. So you've mentioned the Clinton, Clinton administration and Fox News, both things that are very much implicated in this current moment mm -hmm. where we're having this reckoning yeah. with sexual harassment. Um, so given your experience in both of those environments, do you think we're like at a tipping point? Do you see oh, things wow, changing? Yeah. Do you? Well, I mean, this morning when I got up and I saw Matt Lauer lost his job that and Garrison Keillor has lost yeah. her job. And I was thinking back and I thought, never, ever, ever could I have imagined this happening. It, it just, it's so improbable to think. I, I just can't even, I still can't even get my mind around it. it, it that 
powerful men are being held accountable because in the past, even non-powerful men weren't held accountable. So when you're seeing people who, you know, Charlie Rose, uh, Harvey Weinstein, people who are affecting the bottom line, uh, actually losing their job, then you know something is definitely going on. And so I think you, you see that. Now, in the political realm, it's a little different what's happening. And unfortunately, I think the Democrats are kind of making the same mistakes they made with Bill Clinton, you know, and what do you mean by that? Uh, well, kind of. It's not, you know, sort of making excuses a little bit. This, you know, I don't know if you saw the interview with Nancy Pelosi when she was asked yes, about John Conyers. And I mean, it's really like she's trapped in another era. It is the kind of thing you would expect to have seen 10 years ago, 20 years ago. That just doesn't. Many would it, say that about a lot of issues with the Democratic yeah. Party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, you really, I've never been big on the get rid of Nancy Pelosi because she's too old thing because mm-hmm. I, I don't like that. I think it's ageist. And I think mm-hmm. she's actually a very capable leader and she's she will go down in history as probably one of the best leaders of uh, either party uh, in terms of actually getting things done. Um, but that interview really made me reevaluate that. It doesn't have to do with her age. I mean, yeah. I just think she's out of step with the times. Mm-hmm. And I think this is not where we are. We're not at the point where, you know, you're saying, uh, I don't even know who these women are. Like, I don't, you know, just her whole reaction mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. something out of another time. You know, it just isn't it isn't in step with where we are. When it's interesting that you mentioned that powerful men are being held accountable. Do you mm-hmm. think where the thing that I've been thinking about a lot is, uh, you know, these women who work for institutions that aren't in the media spotlight, mm-hmm. like are, do they have any hope of things improving right when their boss isn't, you know, in yeah. the public eye mm-hmm. who can't right. be brought down with a bunch of tweets? Yeah. Um, what's their hope? Yeah. In? Well, I think there's hope in the sense that it should expand out and, and the thing is, this has to put fear in the hearts of men, right? They have to see this and go, wow, people are actually being held accountable. And I think that that does matter. I think it's good that men are worried about this because in the past, it really was something that you just got away with. And so I think that, you know, the you know maybe it's just starting at this more high level where it's privileged women, mostly privileged white women, you know, who, but, but it should hopefully spread out to other areas of society. But, you know, I think that it's a systemic problem. So it's not, it's not just going to be fixed by these people losing their jobs. Like the system has to change where women have a process where they can come forward and they Mm -hmm. don't feel like they're going to be punished for it. There was a story in the times the other day about women actually being prosecuted for false accusations where it turned out they had, told the truth mm-hmm. and were even pressured into recanting, you know, and were prosecuted for it. So the system has to change. You know, a lot of people say like, well, why didn't these women bring this up earlier? It's like, well, because the system just worked against them. You know, you would lose your job and you would never be employable again and you may even get prosecuted for it. So I think for women who have less power, we have to focus more on the systemic stuff right. where you actually can get people prosecuted. You know, I think in the past, if somebody tried to prosecute somebody, I mean, look, Harvey Weinstein didn't get prosecuted. Somebody mm-hmm. actually did go to the police and it still didn't get prosecuted. We need to change that so that there is, you go and it's taken seriously, you know, and it's not. And even this stuff with the Franken thing where all my like friends who are my age are like, oh, so what? So he grabs somebody's bottom you know and it's like what I, you know like why since right. when are you allowed to just reach over like, that's mm-hmm. you can't do that you know what i mean like just because you're a senator and you like him like he's a, allowed yeah. to just reach down yeah. and touch you like no it's the same it's on the same spectrum right of mm-hmm. this idea that your body like women's bodies are just there to kind of play mm-hmm. with and do what they want yeah. with so i think we still have a ways to go and how we think about these i mean things. even just like 10 years ago like i was watching if you're watching like the office or 30 rock on netflix like it, there's just sort of like this trope where like oh you 
sexually harass someone at work. You, yeah. go to, you go to a seminar for a day and then you come back and it's a joke mm-hmm. and no one wants right. to go and you don't really learn anything and you come back. It's, yeah. Well, I was thinking about it too, about how when you think about how it's portrayed in movies or on TV, mm-hmm. if a woman gets groped, it's always like, ooh, you know, like, oh, she's so titillated and it was so kind of like, she's so uptight. Mm-hmm. She needs somebody to kind of loosen her up or something, right? And it's like, that's not what's going on. Like, this is humiliating. You know, even when people were saying that about the pre- you know President Bush and saying, oh, well, he's just an old man in a wheelchair when it turns out actually he was mm-hmm. doing this when he was younger. It's like, no, that's humiliating. These women are showing up with their coworkers or their family members and someone's grabbing them. Mm-hmm. You know, now, does it make him a monster? No, I don't think so. You know, does it make him an irredeemably evil person? No, I don't think so. But I think we need to recognize that it's just on the spectrum of viewing women mm-hmm. as not equals. Yeah. And right. I think it goes back to what you were saying, like about the agency of women's bodies. And mm-hmm. I think one of the like you mentioned that it's also systemic like it's not just prosecuting like we have to change the ways in which we talk about these things and one of the things that it's important to realize it's like it's okay if a woman thinks that it's problematic yeah or if a woman said that something happened to her believe her you know and i think that's something that we're slowly but surely starting to see with like women like you people who are being vocal about it on Mm -hmm. social media even when they get trolled i noticed this with you like you it's interesting you get a lot of trolls on social Mm -hmm. media um but i think it's important for women to just kind of push through that because this is how we change that systemically yeah Yeah. i don't know why i'm such a magnet for them i mean but people have noticed (laughs) that i mean i have a friend who's an expert on social media and she's like i've never seen a person who like attracts yeah. this kind of you know what I mean I, I don't I know I think what it's it is. a lot of unfortunately <laughs> a lot of like men on social media are extremely yeah. intimidated by a woman who just like knows what she's talking about um, yeah and yeah I think I, but I think it has a, more followers than and them. has more followers than them um, <laughs> very threatening but one thing that we're not calling Jim a troll <laughs> no. we're not calling Jim a troll um, but aside from dealing with trolls you also actually engage in meaningful dialogue with some people like there was an instance where someone you posted something about women having miscarriages in flint and a pastor Mm -hmm. said something really negative right and like you checked him and he came back and was like you know what i don't always agree with your opinions but thank you like i needed to hear this and you show that there can be constructive like dialogue on yeah it definitely can happen and like the uh, example of the what was the woman who was part of Fred Phelps' church? You know, she had basically changed her posi- position through interactions with people on Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. there actually were people who were not being nasty to her, but were respectfully challenging this her. This is the Westboro Baptist yeah. Church. Yeah, and then yeah. through that, she sort of came to realize that she was kind of in a cult and something. So, it, yeah. you know, I do think we sometimes think that, like, nothing good can ever happen mm-hmm. on Twitter and every now and then. Now, that is a rare instance, actually. It's very rare that people yeah. will say... Oh, yeah, you know, I actually see that I did something wrong here. But every now and then it happens. Mm -hmm. I just uh, like I only follow people who say nice things to me because I don't know how to I don't know how to deal with trolls. Like it it totally terrifies me. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 They don't get you down? Not in the least. I don't even think about it for one second. Yeah. It's just not. I kind of I mean, one thing I think about is it's I just don't take people seriously who are really nasty i just mm-hmm. kind of think something's wrong with you you have issues you know sometimes i get emails from people and if it's said in a respectful manner and they're disagreeing with me i will actually consider what they're saying mm-hmm. but the minute they start name calling or saying nasty things you're just like delete right right on. you like, wonder if those people not... like want to be taken seriously or if they just like 
want to release. Even. Sometimes yeah. when they're really nasty, I'll write back and just say, you know, thanks for your email. And if you hadn't called me the C word, <laughs> argument a little bit right. and, you know, right. have a nice yeah. day. And almost always they email back and they're horrified. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they say, oh, my gosh, I yeah. can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. Um, so you, you've got a really interesting faith journey. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your... <laughs> conversion experience it's way it's it's a long story as is apparently everything in my life but um the short version of it is i grew up episcopalian but you know very mainline protestant kind of not a serious faith i think i would say i believed in god right um and that's i had no theological views or anything like that um went to college lost my faith as happens so often you know and even though my faith wasn't a deep well thought out faith it mm-hmm. was something that i sort of just took for granted you know that it yeah. was just god was real and god cared about me and there was this sort of sense of order in the universe and then i started to think i just doesn't i don't know it's just, it doesn't quite seem right i you know took an anthropology class and started learning about all of these you know hundreds of religions i started thinking like well can one religion really be true and it kind of just started me down this path and i it was was traumatic and kind of existential but i ultimately just was like i just I, I can't believe this now this was a very different time you know i didn't have the resources that we have today where i feel like now i might have found a jim martin or you know another you know some person who um could walk me through this sort of intellectual Pro, you know, I just felt it was anti-intellectual, and now I don't really feel. I feel like there's so many resources for that. But that, back then, you know, the internet didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, what was I? I didn't really know where to go, and I kind of got lost. And then I kind of stayed that way for you know most of my adult life, I'd say, and um, became agnostic. You know, but still, religion did nothing for me. And then I started dating somebody who went to Redeemer Presbyterian Church, which is a evangelical church in New York City, um, and. Uh, and it's a secret church. So it's set up precisely to make the intellectual uh-huh. argument. And a lot of the people there are people who are kind of lapsed or seeking. And so it was through that that I kind of. It's like a Catholic church on Ash Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, he was, I just kind of, I was very mesmerized by it because I just found it so interesting. I was like, wow, I don't really know anybody who's talking about these things, you know, who's talking about these deep issues and it was a lot of you know philosophy and art and music and just weaving everything together and it kind of over time I guess you know I sort of came around to thinking yeah I think Christianity is probably true you know and um, so that I basically through that I guess sort of fell into the evangelical world though I never really totally fit there because of my politics and so I always felt a little well. So I thought it was because of my politics, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's not actually why I didn't fit there. But I think I thought it was like, oh, I just don't fit because they're all conservatives and I'm not. And and then over time, I you know I became friends. I don't know if you know um, Father Jonathan Morris. Oh yeah. Him? Yeah. So he was at Fox, and so we became friends. And I would go to dinner with him from time to time, and we would talk about things. And whatever we would talk about theology, and he would explain something, I'd go, oh, that's what I think, you know. And then he'd say, and finally, after like the third or fourth time, he's like, you know, you're Catholic, right? you know. <laughs> And I was like, oh, haha, you know, whatever. And so I just uh, kind of ignored that. But I was always kind of not, I just was like, I never, and I didn't even call myself evangelical. I would say I'm just an Orthodox Christian. I just, I believe the Bible's true, but I don't, I don't want to take all this other stuff on. Other people would call me evangelical. But, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, That's a, was that a, as loaded as, of a word as it was, as it is yeah. now? Oh my gosh, yeah. To me, it just was like, I just knew when you were 
talking outside of like church circles, evangelical just meant right wing Republican who hates gay people, right? I mean, it right. wasn't people didn't think of it as in any kind of like I'm born again or something. You know what I mean? That wasn't what they were thinking of. And so I think the Catholicism thing was always in the back of my mind. Um, my my grandparents were Catholic. My mother grew up Catholic. I mean, half of my fam- family is Catholic. Um, and so it was always kind of in the back of my mind. And then I went on a trip to Rome uh, for journalists to learn about the Vatican. And when I was over there, uh, there was also a pilgrimage. And so we were going around to all these different Catholic sites. And I just... It just had really been, it just started to water like something that a seed that had been planted. And I just started realizing like I feel much more of a connection with the Catholic Church. I also had been working a lot with the USCCB, like on columns for on immigration. Mm-hmm. And whenever I would talk to them, I'd think like, yeah, like this is this, you know, like they're like just, they just believe what the Bible says. You know what I mean? It's not like what the Republicans say or what the Democrats say. It's just as they're, you know, just kind of like, yeah, we should welcome immigrants, you know, and they, um, and so, and then when I was at the Vatican, I thought, you know, this is a global church and I feel more at home in a global church versus an American church because that always didn't seem right to me. It's amazing. Rome is a place where people either like find their faith or totally lose it. I thought I was going to like, I thought I almost lost mine in college when I went to Rome. Yeah. It just felt very like, I expected it to be more than it was, I guess. Um, Because in my mind, it was built up as like, you know, the center of Catholicism, right? And Mm -hmm. so when I got, and then I got there and it felt kind of like a museum Hmm. to me. And I was really, that was really tough on me. I felt. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were meeting with uh, like, uh, leaders you know what i mean so we were meeting so we we're actually listening to people sort of articulate you know catholic doctrine and issues that they were working on and so for me it was it was more thinking like yeah this is more what i how i think about things. yeah you know what i mean and again like i said the global perspective uh you know that a lot of people we were meeting with weren't even americans mm-hmm. some of them were but you know that they weren't caught up in the kind of the stuff, you know, the way it is here in the United States. So now that you've found a home in the Catholic Church, do you find yourself as comfortable in the Democratic Party? Do you think that the Democratic Party, a lot of people today say, kind of has a religion problem? Yeah. um, I don't really, you know, I I probably should change my voting status to independent because mm -hmm. I don't really identify with either of the parties. I mean, it doesn't mean, I'm in no way... Sometimes people say like, oh, because you're getting conservative. It's like, no, I don't. I just don't. I just don't feel like either of them represent me. I think the Democrats probably more often on most issues are closer to where I am. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I don't. Uh, but I don't think even then I still think there's some sort of a distance. And so I think that. um yeah, I mean, I just even, like I said, if you even just look at what happened with Nancy Pelosi and this issue around the sexual harassment stuff, it's like, look, you know, one of the things that draws me to the Democratic Party would be that you stand up for women and you, you know, st- uh, and, and you can't even do it. Like, you, you drop the ball on such an important issue. Right. It just makes you sort of go, you know, partisan politics just isn't really where the solution is. And and they do, the Democrats definitely have changed a lot in terms of, I think, how they view religious voters. I just don't think it's something they're even taking seriously. Well, both parties, right? Both parties have kind of been pulled to the edges by their most rabid, you know, fans. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, are you, are you like, are you Democrats? Politically homeless, yeah. I would say. Yeah. 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 Um, have, yeah. I've never been registered in either party. Yeah. And I mean, I've... I don't know. Yeah. I voted for Obama. I can say that. Yeah. But like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, no, I wouldn't say I belong in either party. Yeah. Yeah, I think but the I same. it's kind of the way it should be. I'm 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 to the left of the Democratic Party, yeah. I think. So I'm <laughs> right. more one of those like weird Catholic yeah. crypto Marxists. Yeah. But <laughs> Um, but don't think, tell my mother. Yeah. But, I, but I think that is the way it's supposed to be, I think, for Christians. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm frankly, yeah. I have a lot of evangelical friends who feel that way, who yeah. aren't Trump supporters and who mm-hmm. feel like they're, you know, in a lot of ways they relate to the Democratic Party because they care about immigration and they care about poverty and they care about these issues. But then they're like, but, you know, I don't, I'm pro-life, you know, and what does that mean? You know what I mean? So they're sort of just lost and they just feel like I don't belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. But to a certain extent, I feel like it would be better if more Christians felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. It sounds like you're kind of getting disillusioned with you know the partisanship yeah. that you you know on Fox you were the liberal yeah. and now you're I, I guess yeah. you're more of the centrist on CNN yeah. but so does your spirituality kind of having you looking in different directions in terms of what you want to do career wise yes how did you know that <laughs> <laughs> I'm an <Yeah>. ad <laughs> no absolutely yeah no I definitely uh, I just the sitting and listening to people reciting talking points and you know it just doesn't um sometimes you're like maybe there's more to life than- yeah well i would just like to get into sort of the deeper issues you yeah. know and that i feel like so many people are struggling um you know especially because i i also think and and i was very much a victim of this because the church and i'm just going to use that as a broad we can put the catholic church evangelical church throw them all in one thing has really dropped the ball you know they just have not done a good job in terms of living up to their own standards and i think have you know people have just lost faith in them and so and justifiably so. And but because of that, there's this huge spiritual gap in our society mm-hmm. where people just don't know where to go. You know, they're just lost. And when you take that away, I mean, for somebody like me, and I assume you guys, you know, you believe that that's a real thing. Um, people are going to be lost, yep. you know. And so how can you try to give people resources and help them kind of have a healthy spiritual life, a healthy Christianity? Because I just don't I don't feel like there are a lot of people out there. And that's what I love about Jim Martin, I think he is modeling like a healthy Christianity, mm-hmm. a non-toxic Christianity um, that's not affiliated necessarily in a partisan mold or anything like that. And Richard Rohr as well is doing that. And so, mm-hmm. but how do you get that on a broader, broader scale, get that out to people? Because right now it seems like all people want to watch is people arguing over Donald yeah. Trump. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah. So you've got one final question. Okay. We ask all of our guests. Okay. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic oh or gosh. non-Catholic, I, I'm why would it be in why? I can't do these questions. <laughs> well, let, let's, our last episode, someone canonized Patrick Ewing. So from the next. So. Oh, I'm not good at this kind of things. Maybe Richard Rohr. You know, I'm very interested in kind of um, the mystical yeah. uh part of catholicism which i think and and so and that's the part that he gets into so getting away from all the rules and you know and again the politics the way we think about in the united states which is just you know conservative liberal all that kind of stuff he's just he's not he's not he's not he's none of those things you know you can't really you know i did go on a retreat with him for a couple days and you can't pigeonhole you can't put him in a category Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i think that that's you know and so he talks a lot about you know thomas merton the false self and the true self. And I think that that's an important, also really important thing to understand is how much of who we think we are is actually been put on us by our cultures, by how we were raised, by the fact that we're Americans. We see everything through that lens and Mm -hmm. trying to get that lens off to see Catholicism clearly is something I just think 
I had sort of intuitively known, but he's given me the words and the sort of structure to think about it. Okay. That's the first time we've gotten that one. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now some listener feedback. We put out a Twitter poll asking you guys what your favorite Advent songs are, um, since we sometimes tend to skip right over to Christmas songs. Um, So we thought it'd be a good idea to get some suggestions out there. So from Barb Gilman, uh, she suggests people look east and stay awake. The Lord is coming soon. Uh, Rachel Carey suggests my soul in stillness waits um, and Allison uh, pointed us towards I Wonder As I Wander by Audrey Assad, who was a guest on Jesuitical, episode 31. You can check that out. Um, and and Mackin said anything that is not O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which I'm going to push back on because that's a great song. But everyone's entitled to their opinions. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll, we'll put links to these songs uh, on the episode page, which you can find at americamedia.org. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Angelo Jesus Canta. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Uh, and you should check out our next Twitter poll, which uh, we asked for your family's weirdest Christmas traditions. So there's still time to weigh in on that. Um, and please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week. We got a lot of them. Uh, Lynn's Eleven, Dirty Swag and Buff, Aaron Bro, Bridget Sebi, J.D. Combs, Wei Yale, KWTSJ, Rocky Cohen, Bajuj, Ha 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 SpongeBob <laughs> and Make Beard Leaf. You guys are really creative with these uh, iTunes names. <laughs> um, so please send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless, and we will see you next week. All right, you guys, I was trying to explain to my sister how to leave an iTunes review on a phone this mm-hmm. weekend, and I don't know how to do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Rough. I can't even laugh because I don't know how to do it either. It's really confusing. So, Zach. Zach, please mansplain. All right. I'm, <clears throat> all right. So, open up your iPhone, unlock it, use your thumbprint, face scanner, whatever, however you get into your phone, and then find the podcast app. It's purple, probably. It's the Apple podcast app. Open that up. Don't go to your normal feed. Because that's not where you want to be. That's where you listen to us. But to review us, search for us. It's the bottom right tab in the new iOS. So this is iOS 11, I'm explaining. Okay. Find Jesuitical. Mm -hmm. Once you're there, click on the show page. Okay. Scroll down. So then you can either tap to rate um, and then hit write a review. Oh, yeah. This isn't that hard. And in the old iOS, when you find the show page, there are three tabs. Mm -hmm. Um, Reviews is one of them. So you have to click on that. And then from there, you can write a review. Yay. Great. Okay, everyone go do that. Yeah.